Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning. How can I keep from All right, if we want to come back together. If you would please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, if you are in the red Bible, it is page 959. Um, I've shared this story with some of you before, but before I was a pastor here at Jacobsville Church, I was a youth dude at New Hope Church, kind of like I was a David Steinberger at New Hope Church, except I wasn't as cool. I didn't have the tats. I just can't pull tats off. It doesn't, it would look awkward on me. But anyways, I was a youth dude at New Hope Church. And I remember one particular time I went away to a, uh, a pastor's conference and I came back and I was just so excited about God and what he was doing. And, uh, and so I was preparing my message with great passion and I got a phone call that my music guy, the teen, was not able to lead the music that week. And so I thought, you know, I know about three songs and I will practice those songs and I will lead it with great passion. And so we get to that evening of youth group and, you know, I'm, I'm playing the songs that I know, you know, Savior, he can move the mountains. That was a big one at the time. And so I'm singing my heart out to Jesus and I'm so excited. And, and I open my eyes and I look and none of the youth are singing. And so I'm going, Come on, guys, like, don't you love Jesus? Why don't you sing to Jesus? And one of the brave uh, senior high girls raised her hand and she said, well, uh, Dan, uh, we would sing, but it's a little difficult. Um, We're kind of being thrown off by um, your voice. And and so, like, uh, she's like, if you could just not sing, uh, we would be happy to sing. (laughs) True story. And so I'm like, okay. So then I played the guitar with ferocity for Jesus. They sang and I stayed quiet. Today's passage begins with the Apostle Paul saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Having an accurate understanding of what our spiritual gifts are is extremely important, as well as having an accurate understanding of what our spiritual gifts are not. But what's even more important than that is understanding where our spiritual gifts come from. And what is even more important than that is understanding why we have been given spiritual gifts. And those are the things that Paul answers in today's passage. So let's look together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 through 11 and then skip down to verses 27 through 31. Uh, Those in-between verses will be covered next week. So this is God's word. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Go ahead and skip down to verse 27 now. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, then teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this passage. Pray, Lord, that you would teach us about spiritual gifts today. Grow us in our understanding of them and our use of them for your glory and for the good of your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God has given to his church spiritual gifts to be a blessing to his church to unite his church. But in Corinth, these spiritual gifts were dividing the church. And we're not given a whole bunch of detail, but we know it was causing division in the church. My guess is that those who had the more charismatic gifts, the speaking in tongues, the prophecy, the healing, were pretty proud of their gifts and considered themselves mature believers because of the gifts that they had. And so they looked on those with more, we'll say, ordinary gifts, thinking them to be lesser Christians. Contrastingly, my guess is that those with the more ordinary gifts of administration, of helps and things like that, probably looked at those other Christians that did prophecy, that spoke in tongues, that did healing, and just thought, you know what? They're mostly just driven by emotion. And they really don't pay too much attention to the truth. We know that Corinth was divided by their spiritual gifts. We're not exactly sure why. That's my guess. That's why they were divided by their spiritual gifts. And I guess that because that's why the church is often divided over spiritual gifts today. People consider the spiritual gifts they have or that are prominent in their own church. And so they look at others and they judge them based on the gifts that they use. Again, typically the more charismatic folks that will use more of the gifts will look at those who don't and say, they're just not a very spirit-filled Christian. 
as well as those that use the more, I'll say, uh, normalized gifts of administration and, and helps. We'll look at those others and say, you know what? They're just, they're just led by their emotion, whichever way they want to go. And what's interesting is with those stereotypes, they're stereotypes because there is some truth in terms of some weaknesses on both directions. And we can learn from one another and we should learn from one another. But what happens is these spiritual gifts, which are intended to bring unity to the church, bring division to the church because of our own pride. And so Paul addresses these spiritual gifts. I, I remember um, several years ago at Jacob's Well Church, we were meeting Bayview Middle School. There was a woman who came in right before the service and she came up to me. And she said, pastor, are you a spirit-filled church? And I said, I hope so. I mean, otherwise we're not a church at all, right? I knew what she meant. She was saying, do you speak in tongues? Do you guys do this stuff? But I answered her truthfully. I mean, maybe not what she was looking for. Midway through the service, she left because it was intolerable to be with us. But again, on the other hand, I think there are some of us who would go to a church that expresses some of these spiritual gifts that we're not comfortable with and might be tempted to leave as well. But God says these are for our unity. And so Paul answers three really important questions when it comes to spiritual gifts. First, what are the spiritual gifts? Secondly, who and how do we get the spiritual gifts? I guess that's a two for one right there. And third, why do we have the spiritual gifts? And they're in ascending order of importance. So what are they? Who and how do we get them? And why do we have them? So first, what are the spiritual gifts? We're gonna camp on this first point for a while because there's a lot to cover. But notice in verse four, Paul says, now there are a variety of gifts. Uh, and so there's not just one or two or three. There's a lot of spiritual gifts that God has given to his church, okay? And Paul goes on to, uh, to list some of those spiritual gifts. He does not list all of them. He just picks a portion of them. And my guess is he picks the portion that has been most divisive in the church in Corinth. And so verse eight, he says, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So I want to quickly define these spiritual gifts as we go through them. And an exact definition is a little bit hard to give because sometimes it depends on context what is meant by these things. But first he says uh, the utterance of wisdom. Wisdom are those who have godly wisdom. Those you would go to when you're in a tricky situation and you're like, I don't know what to do. I know I'll go to this person because they will give me godly wisdom. They're a wise person. He also talks about the gift of knowledge, which is different. Sometimes they overlap, but not always. These are people who are brains for Jesus. You know, you could say, tell me about Numbers chapter three, and they can spit it out like that because they know everything about the Bible, or it seems that way. And so they're given the gift of knowledge. You know, I know even for me personally, if I'm looking for, for someone with a gift of knowledge amongst our elders, I will go to one elder. If I'm looking for wisdom, I will go to another elder because they have various gifts. Paul continues in verse nine. He says, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. The gift of faith referred to here in this passage is not saving faith. That is a gift given to all Christians, but I'll say it's a gift of extraordinary faith. You know, those that can take that leap of faith easier than other people or those who can go through suffering and trust the will of God in the midst of it so easily. For those missionaries that leave everything to go and preach the gospel to the foreign lands or those who will endure persecution and even death and martyrdom, God gives them extraordinary faith. 
Paul also talks about the gifts of healing. Uh, it's interesting because in the Greek, it's actually two plurals, gifts of healings, which is interesting. I can't quite explain maybe so well verbally why I think that is. But, but one is that the gifts is multiple because there are different types of healings possible. There is the physical healing, which we normally think about. But there are those gifted with emotional healing with people. There are those that are gifted with spiritual healing. And so there's various healings. There is certainly physical healing, but I think there's more than that. And it's various gifts of healings. And so it happens at different times. So it's not like an automatic, like a person has a gift of this and they can go and do it for everyone. Like they're a hypnotist or something. It's not that way. And so for example, you have the apostle Paul and we have, uh, I believe three recorded instances where through Paul, God heals someone, okay? He lays hands and they're cured. But we have four times that, Paul prays for healing that God does not heal. For example, the thorn in his own flesh, he prays, Lord, take this thorn from me, heal me from this. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so should we pray for people to be healed? Absolutely. God can still, God still does miraculously heal people. Sometimes his answer is yes. Sometimes it is no, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes it's later. Yes, no, or later, I have things I'm doing in the midst of this pain. Paul continues, verse 10, he says, To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Again, there's a lot here, so I want to quickly go through it. He talks about the working of miracles. This would be above and beyond, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual healing. I think of Acts chapter 12, when the church is praying that Peter would be released from prison. Peter is bound to two Roman guards inside a prison, and yet miraculously, he is set free. That's a miracle. To another, he says, prophecy. Um, when we hear this term prophecy, I think in the church, we often think of prophecy as foretelling the future, right? Like predictive, something that's going to happen in the future. And it is that, uh, but if you look throughout the scriptures, commonly prophecy is not foretelling, it is forthtelling. It, it, it's really pulling the curtain back and showing what is going on, showing the corruption of the leaders of Israel and the judgment of God and the holiness of God and the salvation of God. And so even this morning, as I'm teaching to you, as far as I am consistent with God's word, which I don't think is all the time, but as far as I am consistent with God's word, I'm prophesying to you because I'm sharing with you, I'm speaking to you the word of God. To another, he says, the ability to distinguish spirits. We'll talk more about this later when we come to back to verse two, but there are, there's the Holy Spirit and then there are demonic spirits. And believe it or not, it's pretty hard to tell the two apart many times. And, and we'll see this again later, but, but people with, that don't have the Holy Spirit will prophesy. Uh, they will cast out demons, as we'll read. But we need someone to discern that for us. Uh, he goes on, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Uh, Paul says, I know for some of you, you, if you've been around Christian circles for a while, you've heard about tongues. For some of you that are new, you're like, what are tongues? Like, I don't get it. It's 
And there's various kinds listed out in scripture. In 13.1, which is coming up, it talks about the tongues of angels is one type of tongues. We also read about tongues that are a private prayer language that people have with the Lord where they speak, but it's not in English. It's in a different language that they don't even understand. For others, there's a speaking in tongues uh, where they would do it in the midst of a worship service and someone would get up and translate that. No one would understand the language except the person who would get up and translate it. At Pentecost, uh, where the speaking in tongues begins, the purpose of that is Pentecost was a feast in which Jews would come in from all over the world to celebrate. And so God combines the languages for the proclamation of the gospel so that all these people from all over the world would hear and know and understand the gospel and then go back out to the uttermost ends of the earth to share the good news of Christ with others. And so you see various kinds of tongues within this. Now I want to take kind of a, a tangent here because a lot of people will ask me, and you may be asking this question in your head, uh, Pastor Dan, what do you believe about these spiritual gifts? What do you believe about, uh, I'll say, these more charismatic gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing? Do you think those still exist today? Well, before I, I tell you where I, where I sit on that, um, I'll just say there's two major camps, okay? And these are at the ends, all right? And then there's a middle. But at, at one end are those that believe all of these gifts are for today and it should be very common in the church, okay? Then you have the other end, uh, which are those that are called cessationists. And cessationists believe that, that these, I'll just say charismatic gifts, I'm not sure what a better term is for it, but, but that they were for a specific time in redemptive history. They were for the apostolic time to validate the authority of the apostles, both as they went into new territories to preach about Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? So the apostle Paul, and we see this in Acts, but he goes into a new area. They've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard of Paul. This is all completely foreign to him. But if, Jesus, if Paul, if God heals someone through Paul, people are gonna start to listen. <laughs> They're gonna understand that this is, there's something to this. And so the cessationists would say, hey, for this specific time, the apostolic age, God gave these uh, charismatic gifts to authenticate the apostles, their preaching of the gospel, their writing of the scripture. And so, you know, I do think, I forgot to mention this, I do think, so there is the, the, the cessationists, there's also, I guess, the more charismatic. I would say, I, I do think within our culture, there is an over-focus uh, many times in the church on those charismatic gifts in which people are, are focused on those gifts instead of focused on God himself. I've, I've had many people sit with me and tell me stories about how they were taken to youth camp by their church and they sing and they pray until everybody spoke in tongues. And so there was this force to do these things, right? So I think there's an over-focus on it, but I will also say, I don't think that negates the possibility of it either. I would call myself, I'd be in between these two personally, and our elders would probably be along that way somewhere. I'd probably say I'm a semi-cessationalist in the sense that I still think God can use these gifts and it may be more prevalent in certain areas of the world based on the availability of scripture and the gospel. But I also would say I'm semi because I think canon, the canon of scripture is closed. And so if someone comes as, and declares himself a prophet and says, thus saith the Lord, there should be a skepticism to us. Because in the Old Testament, if a prophet prophesied and they were wrong, you were supposed to kill them, okay? And so, so, so if someone comes and they prophesy to you saying, thus saith the Lord, this is equal weight as scripture, 
then I think they've gone too far because the canon of scripture is closed. It's complete. It's sufficient for us. And so I know that's pretty vague, and, but that's kind of where I am. If, if you even look in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, it says in that passage, uh, let me see if I can find it here real quick. It says in verse eight, it says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that is when Christ returns and everything is made new again, he says the partial will pass away. So, all right, end of tangent, back on topic. Spiritual gifts, what are they? Skip down to verse 28. And God has an appointment in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. These are offices, not necessarily gifts, but God gives the gifts according to the offices. He says, then miracles, then gifts of healing, which we've already talked about. And then he says, helping. Again, this may not be as cool of a spiritual gift from our mindset as, you know, healing people, but helping behind the scenes, making things happen within the church and within the kingdom of Christ. And he says, administrating. Again, not the one that gets the fanfare or the oohs and ahs, but so vital, people who can organize stuff and put things together. I mean, I know, I know people who, who, who cannot administer, administrate themselves out of a paper bag. I mean, they're so gifted in other ways, but like just so weak here. And so this is a precious gift to the church. And then he says, and various kinds of tongues, which we have already talked about. Um, as I mentioned, this is just a sample of spiritual gifts available listed in the scripture. The scripture tells us about other spiritual gifts, the gift of serving, the guest, gift of exhortation, of giving, of leadership, of mercy, of evangelism, and so on and so forth. But the point is this, is that God has given various gifts to the church because he has a great purpose for us. You know, this summer, um, soccer's canceled. And so I decided I want to try to teach my kids how to golf. And when we go golfing, one of the things you have to do is you have to walk them through the bag, the golf bag and the different clubs in there. You say, this is the driver. This is for when you hit it off the tee. This is the putter. This is what you use when you're on the green. This is the sand wedge. This is what you use when you're not a very good golfer. Daddy uses this one all the time because I'm in the sand. But you go through and you, you say, okay, these are the different clubs and these are the different purposes. Now, you can drive with the putter. Um, Matter of fact, I think I've probably done that once or twice. And you can putt with a driver. That is possible as well. You can do those things. But that's not the main focus of those clubs. They all have different purposes. So in the church, God has created with a variety of gifts. And you can still serve outside of those gifts. And sometimes it is important to do that simply because there's a need in the church. But God is saying, I've given this variety of gifts to the church because a variety of gifts are needed for the church. And so what are spiritual gifts? Well, we listed them out. They are talents, I guess you could say. And there's a variety given to different people in the church. Now, second question and kind of two and two B how, who and how do we get spiritual gifts? First, let's address who gets spiritual gifts. Verse seven, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to Christians. He says, to each is given. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
And so if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have a spiritual gift, whether you know it or not. Now, you may be wondering, what is my spiritual gift? How do I find my spiritual gift? And I want to give you four basic things that can help you find your spiritual gift, okay? The first is this. Ask those who know you. There's a good chance those who are around you know your spiritual gift, even better than you do. The second is this. What comes easy to you that is difficult to other people? Right, and so I can ask someone, "Hey, would you would you greet people at the door?" And they're like, "Sure, I'd love to do that." But anyone can greet people at the door. It's like, you know what? Funny enough, some people it's really hard for them to greet people at the door. You have been given the gift of hospitality, you know. And so, what comes easy to you that's difficult for other people? The third is, where does your passion overlap your opportunity and your ability? Okay, passion opportunity and ability. I'd love to go into that more, but you can think about that. If you're missing one of those, uh, then it doesn't work. Passion, opportunity, and ability. And finally, if you're trying to figure out what your spiritual gift is, like just do stuff. Just volunteer, just serve. Go sing for the youth group, right, David? Like go sing. He'd love to have you go sing for the youth group. And then he'd pause you and say, this ain't your spiritual gift. Find another place, right? But it's as we serve that we find out what are the areas that we're good at, that God has gifted us for? What are the areas that we're passionate about? And so those are some ways that you can find your spiritual gifts. Now, how do we get these spiritual gifts? And this is so important. Verse two, I'm gonna cover this, um, but it says, now you know, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And so Paul saying, listen, you were led by someone or something to worship idols. And I think it's talking about demonic spirits because later he talks about discerning spirits, but they led you to idols uh, that, were, that were deaf, that were dumb, and that were dead. <laughs> and the, these idols could not think, and they could not talk, and they could not talk. They could not, they could not direct you. But then when you were born again, you are, you, are being, you are led by a different spirit, a living spirit. And that's what he says in verse three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think Paul is saying that, that a non-Christian can't utter the words Jesus is Lord. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of people say Jesus is my Lord and Savior that I don't really think that they're probably Christians. I mean, only the Lord knows, but, but certainly anybody can say that. Even the demons knew that Jesus was Lord. And so it's not just confessing with your mouth, but believing in your heart, as Romans 10 tells us. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And Paul says this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus in Matthew 7 gives a startling warning, startling warning, um, which I think is especially applicable today as we're thinking about spiritual gifts. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's one of those really cool spiritual gifts, right? Prophecy. And cast out demons in your name. Certainly they're a Christian if they cast out demons. And do many mighty works in your name. And then Jesus says, well, I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me you workers of lawlessness. And so you can say Jesus is Lord with your mouth. All of you are able to do that. But do you confess it from your heart? All right, let's continue. Um, 
Paul goes on and he says, you can only confess Jesus as Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Meaning that we do not have the power to confess with our heart Jesus is Lord, but the Spirit of God has to work that in our hearts. He has to He has to bring that about in our hearts. And so that means that our salvation from first to last is a gift of God and a work of God. And so we praise God for that. Paul goes on, and as we think about where do we get our spiritual gifts from, he lays out a Trinitarian framework. Uh, The Trinity is giving you the, the gifts of the Spirit. Verse four says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, talk about the Holy Spirit. And he says, and there are a variety of services. This could be spiritual services or physical services. He says, but the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a variety of activities or operations, but it is the same God, Father God, who empowers, uh, puts forth power, who empowers them all in everyone. And so there are a variety of gifts But there is unity in those gifts because they are given and empowered by our Trinitarian God. Verse 7, he says, To each, again meaning every single Christian, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Notice it says, through the Spirit. Notice the word Spirit in these verses. Through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And so where do we get spiritual gifts? We get spiritual gifts from our Trinitarian God, and he empowers it in us through his Holy Spirit. Pastor Robert Smith Jr. put it this way. He says, the Father is God without skin. The Son is God with skin. The Holy Spirit is God in our skin. (laughs) And so the Spirit lives within us to empower the gifts that God has given to us. Now you may say, you know, I really don't like the spiritual gifts God has given to me. I've always wanted to be a pastor or a singer or I've wanted to teach Bible studies or I've wanted to do this or that, but I'm doing this instead. And so I don't really like my spiritual gifts that God has given to me. I know I look at other preachers. I'm like, man, I wish I was gifted like that preacher. You probably think the same thing, but, but, but like, I wish I could preach like that. But look what verse 11 says. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions or disperses to each one individually as he wills. And so the reason why you have the spiritual gifts that you have and not the spiritual gifts that maybe you wish you had is because God is smarter than you. (laughs) And God has said, I know what gifts I want to apportion to each of my sons and daughters. And he gives you not only the gifts that you have, but even the, the degree of the gift that you have. God gives us the gifts for his glory and also for our good and even withholds gifts from us for our good. I'll give you an example. As I shared with you earlier, I'm not known as a great singer. Um, I think I'm just not appreciated in my own time. 
Uh, chances are I won't be appreciated in any time, but I'm not the best speaker. And uh, I wish I could sing and play guitar because I love to sing to God. I also love singing country music and other stuff like that, um, which actually my voice might be okay for country music. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, so so I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't sing, I couldn't play guitar. And I just see God's grace in that because when we planted Jacob's Well Church, if I could sing and play guitar, I probably would have preached. I probably would have sung and played guitar and all of them would have suffered and I would have been burnt out. And so God says, I'm not going to give you this gift of singing and a, 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 a music. And I'm so thankful that he did because I would have killed myself. And other parts of my ministry would have suffered as well. Not only that, I would have never met Jason Steger, who helped lead music when we first planted Jacob's Well Church. And Jason would have never had this time at Jacob's Well to be equipped and go plant a church in Kimberly. And so you see, God has wisdom and the gifts he gives you, but also the gifts that he doesn't give to you. God has apportioned our spiritual gifts and the extent of them for his will and for our good. And because it's God who apportions our spiritual gifts, we can be honest about our strengths and our weaknesses, can't we? Because it's not a judgment of our character, it's an assessment of what God has done. And it is doing. And not only can we honestly assess our spiritual gifts, but we can be humble about them. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but, but things that come easy to you maybe comes hard to others. And, and you're like, why can't they be more like me? Have you ever thought that? I have. But, but this says, no, like I have that gift because God has given it to me. God hasn't given it to them. And that was God's decision according to his wisdom. And so it gives us humility, but also honesty in looking at our spiritual gifts. So why, what are the spiritual gifts? Who has them? How do we get them? Spiritual gifts are a variety of talents given by God above to his children that he empowers by his Holy Spirit. Finally, and this is the most important part, why are spiritual gifts given? What is the purpose of our spiritual gifts? Is it to earn money? Is it to gain fame or recognition? Verse seven tells us so clearly. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That's the purpose. Ephesians four puts it this way, and I'll just read a portion of it. But it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, okay? Now listen closely. For building up the body of Christ. And so why has God gifted you? It's so that you could serve, so that you can minister to one another to build up the body of Christ. I'm not gonna go too deep into this because it will be covered in detail next week. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is not about spiritual gifts, it talks a lot about spiritual gifts, but the primary purpose of 1 Corinthians 12 is unity in the church. And these gifts are given not to bring division and pride and boasting, but to serve one another, to bring, to bring glory to God by loving and caring for one another in the church. You see, the reason why none of us have all the gifts, but we all have some gifts, is so that we can serve one another. So we need one another so we can love one another. Paul even goes on to say this at, in verse 31 and, and, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is, you know, that marriage chapter about, you know, love, love conquers all things. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, 
but have not love, I am a noisy gong. Verse two, he says, if I have all faith, so to remove mountains, that's pretty amazing, but have no love, I'm nothing. Verse three, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. First Peter 4.10 puts it this way, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so God has given you the gifts that you have to love and serve the body of Christ. And the temptation is to hog these gifts, to keep these gifts to ourselves, to not step out and use these gifts. Uh, James Harden is a guard for the Houston Rockets, an NBA basketball team. And he is an amazing player. His coach would probably say he is one of the best players of all times. Last year, he just had a sensational season. He had an incredible streak of scoring at least 30 points a game for 23 straight games, which is unheard of for a point guard to do that. Uh, he had a stretch of five games where he averaged 52 points a game. It was unbelievable. He led the NBA uh, of scoring percentage or scoring um, average of 36.3 points per game. Amazing basketball player. Maybe the best. And yet James Harden did not win the MVP. Nor was he chosen quickly by either captain in the all-star game to be on their team. Nor has he ever made it to a championship. And you may say, why? If he's such an amazing basketball player, why have none of these things happened? Well, I'll tell you it to you the way my kids told it to me in a joke. What's the difference between James Harden and time? Time passes. Wait for it. You got it? Time passes. James Harden doesn't pass the ball. James Harden is a ball hog, and he's an amazing athlete. I mean, he is spectacular. But no one wants him on their all-star team. He hasn't won MVP. They haven't made it to the championship. You know why? Because he hoards his gifts to himself. Now, he may have gotten better. I'm not trying to beat up on him. But, but what happens is he, when he hoards it to himself, it doesn't make the whole team better. It doesn't make the group to get better. It just shows how great he is. In some ways, this is how it is with spiritual gifts. It is so tempting to hoard these gifts to ourselves. But if we do that, really, we injure the entire body of Christ around us. And so we aren't supposed to be spiritual gifts hogs. We're supposed to use them to love and to serve one another. And if you need an example of this, all you have to do is to look to Jesus. Jesus had all of these spiritual gifts, except maybe speaking in tongues. I don't know, we don't have that recorded, but he had prophecy and healing and helping and discerning spirits and so on and so forth. And yet he did not remain in heaven with this treasure chest of gifts, but he came into this broken world to serve you, to love you, to care for you, to heal you, to teach you, and ultimately to die for you and to save you. And then raised from the dead to give you newness of life and went into heaven to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to give you spiritual gifts, not for you to hoard, but to you, for you to serve and to love the church, just as Christ has done with his. Listen, do you know that one of the greatest gifts that God has given to Jake's well church is you? You are one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given to this church because he has uniquely gifted you to serve in a way that builds up this body of Christ. And so why are we given spiritual gifts? 
for the common good, for the good of the church to advance Christ's kingdom. Let me end with this. I know I, I've broken my quota of one a sports metaphor per sermon. It's hard for me. Sometimes it just fits really well. But um, I, uh, I, I coach my son's peewee football team. And, and last year, I sent out an email to the parents. And I gave them a bunch of information. And I also asked some questions. One of the questions I asked is, what position would your child like to play? Okay. 23 kids on the team. 22 of them wanted to be quarterback or running back. Okay. <laughs> 22 of them want to be quarterback or running back. That's the, what they wanted to do. And so, okay, I, I bring them in and I kind of walk with them and, and put them through the process to see if they're gifted for this position or not. And then you have to have that honest conversation. You know, you're like, Joey, like, Joey, I'm so glad that you want to play quarterback, but buddy, like, um, you have to be able to throw the ball past the lineman. Like, if you can't throw the ball past, I'm sorry, I love you, but you can't, you can't be a quarterback. But you know what? You would be a great offensive guard. And they say, but the guards don't score touchdowns. The guards don't get the glory, which is true. I'll say, but we can't score touchdowns without you. Like we need you to be the best guard you can be. Can you do that? I guess so, right? And so, and then your whole season, you're motivating them, telling them it's so important that you play your position to your very best ability. Listen, we're not all given the same spiritual gifts in the church. Thank God that we're not because we would be redundant, Right? We can't all be quarterbacks. We can't all be running backs. We can't all be linemen. Like we need a variety of gifts in the church. And whatever gift God has given to you, we need you to use that gift to the best of your ability. Not hoard it to yourself, but use it generously towards those in the church. Paul says, are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. We don't all have the same gifts, but by God's grace through the Holy Spirit, all of us have been given spiritual gifts for the benefit of the church. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you have given us gifts, Lord. We don't deserve them. We pray for your forgiveness when we hog them to ourselves and don't use them like you have called us to, God. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to use our gifts to love your church. And God, I pray for those here who maybe are trying to figure out the ways that they're gifted. Pray that you would give them clarity, Lord God, and that they would be able to take bold steps of faith to figure that out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.